The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Here's a messages from the book of James, just entitled Practical Christianity. Uh, how many glad that um, Christianity is practical? Um, it's not just some high, lofty thought. Uh, it's not just something that's untouchable or untangible. It's something that the rubber meets the road. Uh, our life uh, can be lived, practically speaking, uh, according to the Word of God. It works. Uh, when we leave here, uh, leave the doors tonight, when we turn the lights off, uh, our Christianity doesn't end uh, with church. Thank the Lord for that. You know, a lot of people go to church, and that's where they go to be a Christian. And uh, that's not where, this is not where we come to be a Christian. This is where we come to corporately worship Christ. And uh, we're Christians when we leave. I hope you're a Christian when you came in. And I hope if you weren't a Christian when you came in, you, you leave a Christian. And, uh, and uh, Christianity is just practical. I didn't say it was easy, but I did say it was practical. And I believe that's what the uh, Bible teaches us. It's hard to be a Christian sometimes, isn't it? Just hard. Let's be honest tonight. Some of you have a hard time being a Christian right now. You had a long day, and you're tired, and all of a sudden, I'm having a hard time being a Christian. I'm having a hard time smiling at you, Pastor. It's tough. You know, I had a tough... I only had a two-hour nap today instead of a, an, an usual three, or... Uh, how many had a power nap today? You took like 15 minutes. All right, good. A couple... I don't know what that stuff is. If I, if I believe... I think it's almost like compromise. I think you, when you sleep, it ought to be for, for a good amount of time. You know, the night, it should be like less sleep. I feel like I'm playing around. I always feel... Some people, it works for them, but for me... I lay down for 15 minutes, I feel like garbage when I get up. I mean, it's just terrible. And uh, anyway, I don't know what that's all about. But practical Christianity in the book of James. We're going to look at the first 11 verses tonight of the book. James chapter number 1 and verses 1 through 11. And I just want to give you some practical truths from the Word of God tonight. And uh, just sitting down and uh, just basically going verse by verse right through this. And uh, a lot of practical teaching here in the book of James. Uh, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, uh, greeting. It's almost like James, a servant of God and a servant of God. But you notice he says of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's identifying God as the Lord Jesus Christ because he's writing to uh, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Uh, I think it, uh, we need to make it clear Jesus is God. He's the Savior Uh, He's the Messiah to those 12 tribes, Messiah to the Jews. Verse number 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Can you read verse 2 with me? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, um, I think uh, that's worth noting. He says, knowing this. That the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. 
I kind of looked at that verse and just thought about, the Bible says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The people that uh, are effectual are those that are fervent and righteous in their lives and in their prayer life. But the Bible says somebody who's like this, who's wavering, who's double-minded, is not going to get anything done in prayer. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. But the rich... And that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to preach it tonight. My prayer and my heart's desire tonight is uh, that I'd get out of the way and let your word and the truth of it prevail in all of our hearts. And God, I pray that as the message is delivered, God, that it would be done so uh, not in my power. I don't have might. I don't have the knowledge or the ability, Lord, to do this tonight. God, this is a spiritual uh, thing that we're here to do, and that's to meet with you and to hear your word preached. I pray that uh, we wouldn't just look at it as academic. God, sometimes we look at the word of God academically, but we never apply it spiritually. Lord, I pray that you do a work in us. Your word is, is sharper than a two-edged sword. God, it goes deep into the hearts. It, it divides, uh, God, our thoughts and our intents. And God, I pray that you go deep uh, within our hearts tonight. God, that you discern our thought life, that you discern, God, our motives and our, our intentions and what we do. And God, I pray that you'd help us to embrace these practical truths for the Christian life tonight. Name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, in verse number one, we see the author announced. It says James, uh, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He announces, if you would, the penman or the author here. It's James, the brother of Jesus. This is James who would be the elder in the first church that was at Jerusalem. And uh, James was a Jew, similar to that of Paul, where you'd say a, a Pharisee among Pharisees. Uh, a learned scholar, if you would, uh, in, uh, in uh, the Jewish uh, nation. He would have been someone that was very knowledgeable, if you would, about the law. And uh, James is very, uh, very much that way as he writes the book. And uh, you look through different, uh, different uh, books of the Bible and you see Hebrews, the word is faith. And you look in other places, you see different words, uh, uh, love. And then you come to James and you see the word that really kind of sticks out more than anything is works. And he gets there and he, he really is talking about a faith that works, a practical Christianity, something that works for the daily Christian life. In other words, it's going to be seen in our lives whether or not we truly have faith. It's going to be shown, it's going to be revealed. Our faith is revealed in how we practically are living out uh, the Christian life. And we see the author here is identified. And James, uh, perhaps uh, uh, being uh, an epistle here in the New Testament, is one of the first books, if not the first book, written of the New Testament. And uh, you notice who he's writing to. It says the 12 uh, tribes uh, which are scattered abroad. And so not only is the author announced, but the audience is addressed. Uh, he begins to speak to uh, the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad there. And uh, let me say this as we look at an audience in the Word of God. Uh, don't we always know there's two audiences? Uh, there's an audience that uh, the original intent or the letter was written, or as you see, uh, we were in 1 Corinthians, and that was written to the church at Corinth. But we also know the audience is us. 
because we have the preserved Word of God uh, for us today. It's for our good. It's profitable, the Bible says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. So the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. It's preserved for us today so that we can have it. It's for our good. It's for our instruction. And so we are too, if you would, the audience tonight. Although he was writing originally, uh, God was going to use this writing uh, under his inspiration for us in the word of God. And so we see the audience is addressed. And then uh, you notice what he says. He says, brethren, in verse number two. Uh, He's saying, uh, brethren, in his mind, uh, fellow Jews. He's talking to uh, his, if you would, nation or those that were there. This is perhaps this book was written right before they held the Jerusalem council and uh, James would have presided over that council. And really the thing is that was debated there was whether or not Gentiles could be Christians without becoming Jews first. And uh, that's what they believed early on in the church that in order for uh, a Gentile to become a Christian is that they had to become a Jew. So they had to be circumcised, and they had to go through a lot of the ritualistic things of becoming a Jew, uh, and uh, then they could be a Christian. And so it was almost like they were proselyting Jews, but then pointing them to the Messiah. Uh, but that's not uh, what, what is the truth of Scripture, the gospel at all. Uh, they found out later and later decided that on the truth, and the truth is, is that uh, the gospel had come to the Gentiles. God made that very clear through signs and wonders in the church and through the apostles and through the writings of the Scripture. And uh, we see now that, hey, aren't you glad Gentiles are Christians too? And uh, we see that uh, uh, practical Christianity is just as much for us as it was uh, for those Jews. And really, uh, it's great instruction because a lot of us know how to be religious, Uh, We know uh, some of the things that maybe we could do uh, in our works, but we need to uh, make sure that it's our faith that's being displayed in our works. In other words, the works that we do are a result of faith. They're not a work to get to faith. You know, sometimes uh, people, we look at it backwards and say, well, I'm doing this to please God. Well, that's good, but understand that as a Christian, God's pleased with you because of His Son, Jesus. And uh, you're not trying to get him to love you more. Uh, you're not trying to, get ex- trying to be acceptable uh, in his sight. I think sometimes uh, Christians kind of believe that. It's if I do these things, and God's going to love me. And God's going to accept me. Listen, God accepts you because of Jesus and not because of your works ever. Uh, but why do we do what we do? Well, it reveals our heart attitude. It reveals who we are. It reveals our faith. And I think any conviction that you have... Anything that you do ought to be born in a walk with God, a faith uh, with the Lord. And sometimes uh, we adapt things that are just kind of religious, ritualistic type things. And they weren't born of faith. They were just born because somebody said, this is what you're supposed to do. And we said, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's good when we're trying to give instruction. But uh, by and large, you know, we need to understand that in Christian life, as far as what we practically live out, it should be born from our walk with God. Because those are the things, the convictions, if you would, that are going to stay in our lives. Those are the things that are going to help us. And uh, faith, uh, uh, James introduces later, without works is dead. And he said, I'll show you my faith by my works. And uh, he's addressing these brethren, and he's talking about trials and temptations. Look at verse number 2. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Um, he's not talking about necessarily an isolated, like a temptation where you're trying to be tempted to sin. 
But can I say this? With every trial is the temptation to sin, is there not? With every trial is the temptation to curse God. With every trial is the temptation to charge God wrongfully. Uh, When we have trials in our life, they can produce one of two things. They They can try us with the potential really for us to sin or for the potential of our character to be brought forth, the Christian character to be brought forth and our life to be purified. Notice the trials in our lives, God sends them and allows them so he can make us more like him. Anybody going, y'all all right tonight? Everybody's all right? Some of you look like you're struggling a little bit, all right? But uh, he's not talking about me, is he all right? (laughs) But you know, trials, trials are, are meant for our good. God sends trials into our lives because he wants us us to conform us to the image of his dear son. Now, what is the image of Jesus? You think of the image of Christ. I mean, it's one of suffering. It's it's one of humility. It's one of servitude. It's something that we have to understand. If we're going to be like Jesus, I think sometimes we think, I want to be like Jesus now. He's on the throne. You know, he's, you know, and uh, Jesus said, be like me when I was on the earth. Be like me when I was walking among men. Be like me when I, when I served others. Be like me when I sacrificially lived my life. And that's what the call to the practical Christian life. And he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. I think it's interesting that he says fall because often uh, trials are what we fall into. It's not, it's not expected. That's kind of what makes it a trial, isn't it? Come on, you say, uh, it would, it, trials would be a lot easier if they, were annou- if they would just announce themselves. If they would just consult with our calendar first, if they would just ask us if this is the all right time in life where we're strong enough to handle it, the Bible says that He doesn't tempt us above that which we're able. Now, we also know that God never tempts us with sin, does He? That's what the Bible tells us. So it's talking about God tempting that us above that which we're able. What's He talking about? He doesn't let trials into our life above that which we can handle in His power, in His strength, in His ability. Because he's not left us alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his word. And uh, God says, hey, listen, when you you fall into diverse temptations, when they suddenly pop up in your life, and often they're very diverse, aren't they? The things that enter into our lives. Uh, How many have had a financial trial in your life? Just raise your hand. You've had a financial trial? Say, I'm having having one right now. Uh, Financial trial. Said, I didn't know, but I'm, I'm about to have one, all right? But uh, financial uh, trials, how many have had a physical trial in your life? You have physical trials. Uh, how many have ever had spiritual trials? Spiritual trials. Emotional trials. Come on. Mental trials. Keep them up. I see some of you, all right? You know, we've gone through some, come on, depression, discouragement. A lot of things that we see people are going through. More and more Christians are struggling with things that we uh, kind of, by and large, thought was just things that, uh, that lost people struggle with. But the truth of the matter is, is all of us, go through periods of trial, don't we? And uh, in that trial, what happens? Well, we're presented with the opportunity to sin or the opportunity to be conformed to his image. And that's the presentation when it comes to trials. And God says to us, he says, count it all joy. We said there was an author identified an audience address, but I believe here there's an attitude articulated. He says here, he says, I want you to understand that this is the attitude of a Christian. Brethren, this is how we're supposed to be when we go through trials, when we go through tribulation, when we go through hard times. We're supposed to count it all joy. We're supposed to just say, 
I know that God has a purpose for these things in my life. And so I can, I can be happy, I can have joy in this trial because I know that God has sent it into my life for the purpose of Him receiving the glory. Now, come on, that's hard to do. I said it's practical, I didn't say it was easy. Practical in the sense of we all are going through trials, but the truth of the matter is hard in the sense of when you're in the trial, it's really difficult to count it joy. It's really difficult to be happy. I'm not going to just, uh, a lot of times in Christianity, we have what we call like Christianese or happy talk. You know, we, we kind of say things, you know, well, this is the way that it can be. But the truth of the matter is, is this actually works, friend. God gives this to us in his word because he's saying, hey, listen, you're going to fall into diverse temptations. You're going to fall into various trials in your life. Expect it to happen. It's going to come. I don't know whether it's going to be family or physical or financial, whatever it may be. Uh, It's going to come. It's going to come suddenly. You're not going to be prepared for it. That's what makes it a trial. But understand this. I was prepared for it. That's what God's saying. I knew this was going to happen. I have a purpose for which I've allowed this in your life. You may not understand it. You may even, like Paul, beseech God that he would remove it from you. And God may answer, my grace is sufficient for you. He may say, no, I'm not going to take this trial away from you. He may say, it's, it's, it's for your good, and I want you to go through this difficulty. How many know in raising children that it's not good to take away all hardship from their life? Shelter them from sin. Keep them from wickedness. Keep them from things that they shouldn't be uh, exposed to. But don't keep them from problems. Don't keep them from trials. Don't keep them from hardship. Listen, uh, don't always shield your kids from when uh, you don't have the money to do something. Sometimes you should say, listen, we we don't have the money to do that. And we need to pray and ask God to supply. And by the way, sometimes uh, I think we we pray more for the things we want than the things we need. It's high time that uh, we acknowledge that our needs are supplied by God. How many have been there? Uh, where you had a real need financially and you had to get on your knees and you had to pray and ask God to supply that need. Listen, uh, that's what makes us more like Jesus. That's what helps us to live out this Christian life practically. And and boy, we need to learn that uh, uh, young. I I remember my parents teaching us to do that. Uh, There was times where we had to pray for things that, uh, uh, you know, many of, I mean, things I don't have to pray for today. I think we've got it pretty good. I think the Lord's been really good. I've got clothes on my back. I've got shoes on my feet. I'm blessed. Uh, But there was times where we didn't really have a whole lot. I remember Christmas times. And seeing it funny is in America, we have the hardship of Christmas. Boy, I really don't know if I'm going to get 10 presents this year because mom and dad are really strapped for cash. You know, and that to us is a real hardship uh, sometimes. Uh, I remember uh, in church they said uh, to the young people, we're going to give some gifts to people that really have a need and uh, go home and grab a gift. Maybe kids, if you've got something on the tree with your name on it, you want to give it up and give it to someone else. And you see parents gasping. But it's that. It's too expensive to give to someone else. It's too much to give up. You know, let me go, let me go, let's go to the dollar store and get some things for the kids that have needs. You know, I remember uh, them challenging us to do that. Uh, I remember my, to my parents' dismay that I picked the biggest box and it was something I really prayed for and something they worked for and something they, they got for us. And uh, I gave the thing up. I didn't even know what it was. I still, I'm trying to get them to tell me what it was. They wouldn't tell me. 
But, uh, you know, isn't it interesting sometimes that uh, sometimes for us, because we're a little spoiled, is uh, it's a trial for us if, you know, if we're out of cell phone service. It's a trial for us that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday. Why do they always tempt us that way? You drive by, and boy, boy, just want some chicken, and they're closed, all right? And, uh, you know, it's a trial for us when, you know, when we're inconvenienced. Come on. When we're inconvenienced. That is a trial. That's not what God's talking about here. He's not talking about inconveniences. He's talking about real trials. He's talking about when you're going through real hardship. And uh, he's saying, hey, listen, this is the attitude that you ought to have as a Christian. Count it all joy. We not only see an attitude articulated, but in verse number 3, we see an axiom that's applied. Look at verse number 3. He says, knowing this. An axiom is something that's for sure. It's something that uh, you don't have to guess about. It's something that is, is a definite uh, this is a rule. This is something that we can confide in, that we can say, we know uh, this is true. And what's he saying to us? He's saying, hey, Christian, apply this truth to your life. Apply this to your, your situation. When you're in a trial, know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Be careful when you pray for patience. God, give me patience. God says, okay, here's a trial. Because the only way for you to get patience is for you to be tried. And uh, by the way, a test of our faith proves our faith. How can I say I believe if when I'm tested, I prove I don't? Isn't belief effective in behavior? When I truly believe something, it's going to affect the way that I live my life. And uh, a lot of times I think we say we believe things. For instance, Do you believe that there is a literal hell? Do you believe that? What will that belief cause you to do? Well, it will cause you to understand the grace of God in your life and what He saved you from. It will cause you to appreciate what God's done for you and what He he has bought you and plucked you up out of. What you were destined to, to become apart from Christ and where you were condemned to go. And what the wages of your sin and the cost of your sin were sending you. But it also will do something else, won't it? To cause you, as you've been rescued from that place, to have a desire to rescue others and see people not go to that place. Remember the uh, rich man who died? The Bible says, and in hell he lifted up his eyes and being in torments. What did he ask for? Well, he asked for some relief and then he asked for someone to go and uh, say something to his brothers that they wouldn't come to that place. And what did, the, what did the Bible, he said, they have, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the word of God. If they won't believe the word of God, then they're not going to, to, to believe as though one came back from the dead. The truth of the matter is tonight, is if you won't believe God's word, you wouldn't believe it if Jesus showed up in physical form tonight and said it to you face to face and told you that. You know, that's a bunch of uh, hogwash that people say, well, if God would just tell me himself, he did tell us. He gave us his word. And if we won't believe this, we won't believe as though one came back from the dead. Can I say this to you? Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus did give us, and boy, isn't it a miracle that we have his word? A miracle. I mean, when I open up the Word of God, I don't know about you, but it gives you a newfound appreciation when you think of how many people bled and died so that you could have it. How many people were tortured so that you could have it. How many people went to the, 
the, the fire, how many people went to the torture, how, how many people went through those things so that we could have the Word of God in our life. Listen, they didn't die because they didn't believe in it. Their belief affected their behavior. A lot of times uh, I, I think we say we believe things, but when we're put to the test, we reveal our lack of faith, that we don't really believe it. And uh, he says here, here's the axiom, know this. The statement that faith must be tried in order for patience to be awarded. If you want patience, you're going to have to go through a trial. Not only do we see this axiom apply, but look at verse number 4. We see an aftermath awarded. After the trial's over, what happens? What happens in all these things? Notice this in verse 4. After that tribulation, the Bible says it works out patience, and then it tells us what to do with it. It says, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When faith is tried, patience is left in the aftermath. And when patience is exercised, maturity and satisfaction are the results. He's saying, hey, listen, you're going through a trial. Understand, all of us are going to go through a trial. You're going through a hardship. Understand, Christian, all of us are going to go through these things. But count it all joy. And if you'll take it patiently, you'll receive patience from the Lord. And if you'll exercise that patience, you'll be perfect. You'll be mature. You'll be complete as a Christian. And uh, by the way, he said, you'll be satisfied. It's kind of what Paul learned. He said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. What taught him contentment? Well, letting patience have her perfect way in his life. But what gave him patience? Well, when he, he listed all of those things that he went through, how many times he was shipwrecked, how many times he was beat, how many times he was in prison, how many times he went through uh, this, and how many times he went through that, all of those things brought about patience in his life that brought about, if you would, a contentment that where he could say to us, hey, be content. Count it all joy. You know, a lot of times when we're not satisfied, it's because, honestly, we might need a trial. We might need a trial. Uh, because when we're not satisfied with what God has given us, we're really expressing from our heart the fact that we're not grateful for what we have. And uh, sometimes, uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait until... I don't want to wait until I go through or have to lose something to be thankful for it. Tonight, I have health and I'm thankful for it. I don't want to lose my health to become thankful for health. Uh, tonight, I'm able to stand, and stand up and preach the Word of God. I'm thankful for that tonight. I don't want to wait until I don't have that ability to be thankful. A lot of times, aren't we so focused on things that we don't have that we neglect to say thank you to God for the things that we do? Is that not just practical Christianity? That God would say to us, listen, look at what you have and be thankful for it. Be patient when you go through these things because in the aftermath, listen, I don't know about you, but I need patience tonight, but I'm not praying for a trial. I'm not praying for a trial. I don't want, does anybody want to go through one? I don't think any of us do. It would be foolish for us to desire for us to go through it. But hey, where you're at tonight, maybe you can say, if and when I do go through the next trial, I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to have joy through the trial. Some people, they go through hard times. You see it on their face. You see it in their attitude. You see it in the way they serve. Just cannot have joy 
in their tribulation. They're just not allowing God to have his way. It's kind of like when uh, somebody doesn't get a, a, a young person, I won't say how old, doesn't get what they don't, doesn't get what they want. Ever see that? You know, not your kid, but the other kid in the store, you know, that's there, and your kid never does, does this when he doesn't get what he wants, but that kid did it, and uh, that gave us a good illustration for other kids, not our kids. But, you know, you all right tonight? Everybody's all right. Good, wonderful. You got that. All right. That was a parable, all right? And, uh, you know, sometimes we go through these different things, and uh, we see what we're like when we don't get what we want. Sometimes we look like that, right? Well, I'm not going to do, well, let's see how I treat you. Come on, how do you treat God when he doesn't give you what you want? How, 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 do, how do you look at God when he, doesn't, when he doesn't give you what you're telling him you want? By the way, where do we get off thinking that we can tell God what to do? You say, well, he told us to pray. He said, let your requests be made known. He didn't say, let your commands be made known. I think sometimes people say, "Go now, God, this is what you need to do, and this is how I want you to handle this situation. And you know, this person's not treating me right, and this is how you need to handle him. And this is what you need to do, and this is what you need to do, blah, blah, blah. And they're used to, what are they saying? I'm used to being in control, and I don't like it when I'm not. And when I'm not in control of God and everybody else around me, this is the way, this is my attitude. And God says, I'm going to bring you low. I'm going to bring you low. I want you to understand who's in control here. I want you to understand, and by the way, humble yourself in the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. How many, how many have ever been brought low? How many know that when you humble yourself, it's a lot different than when God humbles you? Because when I humble myself, there's a, there's a place where I say, well, that's enough. And I don't want to go any lower. And God says, no, 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 I'm humbling you here. So this is where I'm bringing, no, 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 God, I can't go that low. I don't want to go that low. That's, to me, this is enough humility right here, God. I'm here, and now I brought myself here. And God says, no, 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 I'm bringing you lower than what you bring yourself. I'm going to allow you to be abased. I'm going to allow you to go through enough to where you understand. Listen, you say, well, God's being mean. No, that's not God being mean. That's God allowing you to see who's in control. Because let me tell you this, it would be mean for God to allude to you or to allow you to even think for a moment that you're the one in control. That would be a terrible thing. Because can you imagine living a life where you actually believe that you were in control? You know, maybe that was how it was before you were saved. You actually thought you were in control of your own life. But boy, then you met Jesus and you found out that was not the case all along. Even before you knew Jesus as your Savior, you still were not in control. None of us control even the very next breath that we're taking. We don't control. We don't have control. As a matter of fact, life itself kind of teaches us that it's kind of out of control and we need God. Because without Him, everything kind of spirals out of, it goes, it goes into chaos, doesn't it? God's not the author of confusion. He is the author of order and design and purpose. And God doesn't allow trials to come in your life because He's playing with you. And doesn't allow trials to come in your life because He's messing with you. He's not allowing trials to come in your life to say, hey, let me, let, let me show the devil how good you are. God's allowing trials in your life because He wants to make you like His Son. It took the cross to bring us to heaven. It took the cross to bring about our redemption. 
And listen, it takes a cross in the Christian life for us to understand what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, take up your what? Take up your cross and follow me. That's what he called us to do. Hey, listen, the aftermath is a wonderful thing in the Christian life. When I practically live out the Christian life, the results are left up to God. And God says to us, hey, listen, and we know, here's another axiom for you, Christian, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. He says, here's another axiom for you. Here's another promise for you. Here's something you can lean on. Here's something you can trust in. How many of us need need to know tonight that all things work together for good? I need that. I need that. You need that. There's a reason why we say it a lot, because we need it a lot. God says, hey, listen, I've never done anything not good. I'll never do anything not good. And the end result of everything I do is good. And I want to have that work out in your life. But if you fight me, if you resist me, if you won't trust me, you're going to have to keep going through this trial Again, and again, and again, until you learn to trust me. God wants us to learn of him, to learn from him. But this aftermath, maturity, look at verse number 5. What, is, what happens when we're mature, when we're perfect, when we're satisfied? Then what we understand is this. Look at verse 5. If we, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. You say, why does that belong after that whole... I mean, after all the things he said, where is that coming from? He said, wanting nothing. Then he said, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. How many before a trial thought you knew a lot, and then after the trial you found out you, you lacked some wisdom? I don't know about you, but usually right after a trial is when I really understand how much wisdom I lack. When I've gone through a trial and I said, boy, God, you just taught me some things there, and I thought I knew how to handle this, but I didn't know how to handle this. And God, I lack wisdom, and I need, I need wisdom. And God allows us to go through trials sometimes because he wants us to stop leaning on our own understanding, stop trusting ourselves. He says maturity brings an honesty about what we lack, wisdom. You know, trials can cause us to run to, uh, to, uh, to God or to run from God. It also, trials can cause us to fear God, which is what? The beginning of wisdom. Fearing the Lord. And uh, verse 5 tells us something about wisdom. It tells us that God is the source of true wisdom. It tells us that godly wisdom gives us the ability to count it all joy and temptation. Godly wisdom will cause us to let patience have her perfect work. The highest wisdom is God's wisdom. It's the highest wisdom. It's unaffected by circumstances. God's wisdom governs patience in riches and in poverty. Look at verse 9 and 10. Look at it. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted, but the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. Isn't it practical Christianity to know how to live the life when we're high up here in victory and when we're low down here? What's he introducing to us? The principle of abounding and abasing of ebb and flow. He's saying, hey, listen, sometimes the tide's in, sometimes it's out. Sometimes the crop grows and sometimes it doesn't. There's times of plenty, there's times of famine. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But what do you do when you don't have a lot? What do you do 
when you're lacking? What do you do when, when, when you're just falling short of what you need? Well, wisdom governs patience in that situation. It says, I've got to be patient. I've got to, hey, listen, wait on the Lord. I've got to wait on God. There's a lot of things that I'd like to do tonight, but I've got to wait on God. You with me? I'm not saying that you shouldn't dream big dreams and set out to do big things for God. Listen, I'm a firm believer in that. I think God wants us to do that. I think we ought to have big dreams about what our big God can do. Uh, listen, I, you, you say, what are some of you? I, I'd, like to, I'd like to see this area just come to Christ. I'd like to see revival. I'd like to see that happen. Well, that's never going to happen. Brother. Thank you, wet, Brother Wet Blanket. I appreciate that. Well, you know, you don't understand dispensationally. You know, we're time the past of God's miracles and all. Just please, just keep that to yourself. Write that on your Facebook wall or something, but don't tell me tonight. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want uh, to have low expectations from a big God. But there's a lot of things that I have that would probably scare you, just like you have some things that probably scare me, about what I believe God can do and will do But you know what I'm doing right now? I'm just waiting on God. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.